Well, good morning, everyone. I had an epiphany while Basil was speaking, uh, and um, my epiphany was that uh, th 10 years ago was right when we first started Rebay. It was February of 2010. So which that's 10 years, right? Time math. I think so. I think that was 10. Yeah. So some of you guys were here and like for all the people who've said, well, where'd you get that name Rave? I mean, that was 10 years ago. I don't even remember now who, who came up with that. I think it was Alice, but uh, no, we're just going <laughs> to we'll just blame someone. Um, yeah. So, and, and in the past 10 years, you know, it's like, like I, I met Sam and Melody and their family for the first time, you know, in the past 10 years. And, um, I, I actually have a little story, and if you guys don't know, um, they had a tragedy in their family this week. Their their dog, Walter, passed away. So if you guys have met Walter, I don't even know the Scalfs apart from Walter. Like, I can't even imagine a, a Walter-less Scalf family, you know? And um, so it's so sad, and, and those of you who've lost a member of your family, a pet who's passed away, you just know how... That can really just mess you up. But so in honor of him, I, I'm going to share the story of uh, the time their dog, Walter, had an epiphany. And um, if you haven't, if you didn't know, this is Epiphany Sunday. Like that is what today is. So I'm, I'm sharing along the theme here. But um, uh, Sam and Melody were starting the Boulder County Community Church. It was like, I want to say it was the, the first, um, it was the first Easter when the church started and there was a lot of things you know they, they actually lost uh we we all lost the building space we were leasing and so in like an instant easter week they made the call to have easter service at their house okay and their house is in lafayette so it's just not too far down the road and um i remember we came over and it was, it was supposed to i think be a potluck or something like that and so there was like 40 people crammed into their like living room, dining room, kitchen, you know, if you're imagining a, a big wide open space, it wasn't that, you know, we were all like crammed in there. And so, um, and we were eating and food and all this. And so when, when Sam went to do like the Easter, like sermon for the time, you know, everyone finished, it was kind of just chairs and it, it was like, there was part of us, like, I know where I was, I was all the way in the back of the dining room area. I can't even see Sam. Like he was like around the corner, you know, I could hear and, they had decided to put Walter and Toby, their dogs, outside um, so that everyone could kind of focus on the sermon, you know. So I'm by the sliding glass door, and Walter and Toby, especially Walter, because he was bigger, you know, are just like ch -ch 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 scratching on the door, like knocking. Like they're just like, why can't I be in there, you know? And uh, so I couldn't even see Sam. I'd actually already heard the sermon that morning because he had spoke it up here at Reve. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to do like the, the good thing, you know, take one for the team. I'm going to go outside with Walter and Toby and just kind of like entertain them, you know, so that everyone else can like hear the sermon. You know, I'm going to do this good thing so everyone can just like hear and receive from the Lord and all these things. And so... I kind of like slip out the sliding glass door. Maybe it was a French door. I, anyway, it's important to the story. I, um, I, I get outside and, I, you know, kind of as quietly as I could pull the door shut, you know. And then I, I kind of walk past them like away from the sliding glass door so, so we're not like visually distracting either. And I'm just like, hey, come on, Walter. Like, 
what's up? You want to like throw a ball? Like, let's just like do something here, you know? And Walter and I were cool, you know, but I'm, I mean, we're not, we don't hang out a whole bunch, you know, like we're both Sam's friend, but you know, like, so we're just like over there and we're talking and looking and trying to figure out what to do just cause we don't spend a lot of time alone together. And, um, all of a sudden we like, I, I look, I look past Walter and I look back and, uh, Toby was over at the door and Toby was short didn't have opposable thumbs, so I don't know how he did this, but somehow all of a sudden, Toby just kind of opens the door into the house. And Toby's small. He's not a big distraction anyway, but um, he just kind of opens the door and, you know, and then Walter hears a noise too, and he looks back and he looks back at me. And that's when like Walter and I have this epiphany at the same time, which is Toby just opened the door, <laughs> which, you know, Walter then realized was like, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going inside. And I, at the same time, thought, Walter's going to go inside. And, um, but Walter had the advantage on me because he was closer to the door because I was trying to draw him away. And also, he's faster than me. And so at the same time, you know, like we were like in the, 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 what do you call it? The Mexican standoff, you know, at the same time, we're like, and all of a sudden Walter turns and I lunge forward and try to run. And he is way faster than me. He barges open the door and runs in. And if you've ever seen like the Christmas story where the dogs run in and like knock the turkey off the table and eat everything and like this, like that, I don't know if it was exactly to that level, but that's what I felt like happened. And like, as he beat me in the door and I lunge falling in and Sam's in the middle of, I don't know, some really important part, you know, and the dogs just tear through, you know, everywhere. Um, that's when I realized I had failed at my mission that day. <laughs> And, um, I, you know, Sam, very cool, just kind of paused for a minute while the dogs, you know, I think Melody fixed it, you know, and I just hid in the corner in shame with my head down, you know. And um, so that was, that was our first Easter Sunday. And that actually is a great memory for me because, um, you know, it just reminds me that in the midst of all of the hectic and the craziness and all of that, you know, those are sometimes some of the best memories, you know. And as we look today at Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany, um, by the way, and I, I put it up here, because did everyone know that today was Epiphany Sunday? No? Uh, yeah, so it's typically the first Sunday after the first year, and it's, it really celebrates the, um, the, the three wise men, or the Magi, they were called, or the Three Kings. Sometimes it's called Three Kings Sunday. And the day, the official day of Epiphany, though, it isn't today. It's tomorrow. It's always the first Monday after the Sunday after the New Year. And Epiphany is, and I, I put this kind of definition up here because I think when we use the word Epiphany in conversation, this is what we mean. You know, it's like a, a life-changing realization which changes the rest of the story. So like, you know, in a good novel, there's like this epiphany moment. And in the story of like the birth of Jesus, that when these wise men or these magi, these, these men from the East, they come and they appear, it's when they bring the gifts to Jesus. And now I think in the historical timeline, the reality of them coming, if, you know, Jesus was born on Christmas, which probably isn't accurate either, but um, for them to be there like 12 days later, not, not really right, you know, I mean, but they came sometime later, probably a couple of years later, you know, Jesus might have been two years old by then, you know, and they bring the gifts, you know, the, the gold, 
frankincense and myra or you know they bring all that stuff that's all probably a couple of years later but it's an interesting thing to to think about in the story of jesus because the story of jesus is the story of faith for all humanity that salvation would come but originally this is really a story about the messiah coming the savior of the jews okay so this is at its core a jewish story okay and a jewish story to have these outsiders these magi which you know when we read words in the bible you know and i don't know which translation you use you know the you know the term magi that i mean it means magicians you know like that's why i put the picture of the harry potter kids up there you know because when we think of these people who came from the east that they came and we sometimes call them wise men we sometimes call them kings and we don't we don't know if they're actually kings of anything you know and we assume they're wise because they kind of figured this out but like the the wording of the bible calls them like magicians you know like these sorcerers appear at, and they followed like some astrological event in the stars to get there and when we look at the story of like the jewish story the idea of sorcery and astrology and also outsiders to the jewish community none of these things add up to what should be included in a very jewish story and so as we fast forward and look at today we're going to be looking and this is the the um, verse that that is our epiphany section of scripture it comes from ephesians chapter one and we'll start in verse three yeah that's it so um and it, and it starts like this praise be to god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ so and i think this is just like one of those verses that's like wow that's so beautiful you know praise be to god our father the lord jesus christ he's blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ and sometimes when we look at our lives we feel this way we feel like this we just feel like god has given us every blessing and i, I think you guys can look back at seasons in your life some of you when you reflected on the, the past decade you're, you're reflecting on an amazing blessing of a decade you know Basil, you shared that you know just like 10 you know when i was 18 i i came to jesus this has been an amazing decade i think also you know and i think tony alluded this to a little bit alluded to this a little bit in the sermon that like there's also reflection on the decade that maybe you don't feel exactly like this verse like every blessing in heavenly realms has been given to us every spiritual blessing in christ um but i think this is a good foundation to think about that the reality of who Jesus is to us and the Savior of the world coming, the reality of that is a reality that is every blessing in heaven and on earth has been given to us. And it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And when we think about our own like holiness and blamelessness, like I get that sometimes we look, we're like, I think you got the wrong guy for that. <laughs> you got the wrong gal for that. Holy and blameless in his sight. And, but this is like Paul who's writing to the, to the Ephesians, so the people in Ephesus, and he's creating this, this image of something that is more beautiful, more profound than even their own reality was at that moment. He's creating for them an image of what could be and almost what should be. 
And so when he says he chose us, like God chose us before the creation of the world, it's interesting to think about how God, you know, before we even knew him, he knew us. Before he even knew who we were and who we were meant to be, he knew us. He chose us. And the idea of being chosen, you know, I mean, I mean, I think we can all relate to the experience of being chosen for something and what an honor that feels. We can also relate to the feeling of not being chosen. <laughs> if anyone's ever been kicked last for kickball, you know, or something like you know that that feeling of not being chosen either. But the idea that Paul is telling us that God chose us, like before he even not before even us, but before he even created the world that he chose us. To think that you, me, we were chosen by God well in advance. He looked over all the world and he said, you, you will be here this day. You will know on this moment who I am. Like to think about that reality in our lives is almost overwhelming. And as we look today at what we call Epiphany Sunday, I don't know what moment for you it was that you had the epiphany or the realization of who God was in your life, but that's what today's about. Today is about celebrating and remembering and realizing what God is to us. And the, that word epiphany can be a kind of a big word, but it, it's really just like a realization of God. I mean, it's this Greek word that, that kind of comes from like this mashing up of the word up and the word fantasy, like that we almost can see something beyond our reality about who God is. And that's what an epiphany is meant to be for us. And as Paul like kind of expounds in this section, he's almost giving an epiphany to the Ephesians. He's giving an epiphany, a realization of who God is, something that's greater and, but also a little bit mystical in, in a little bit gray or fuzzy or misty that, that he's saying, Hey, let me just get, bring this thing into a way that you can see it. And so the next verse, he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And I do think it's a little bit interesting sometimes, like when Paul uses strictly masculine terms like sonship, you know, all the ladies are in the room are like, oh, great, only this is for the fellas, you know. And, and I think it's a little interesting when he does that because Paul, for his day, is very much an egalitarian. And, and in some of his sections, he doesn't at all seem like it. But you have to know the broad spectrum of like, the culture they were in. When he like greets the people, and even in this whole section, he's almost always using like gender neutral terms. When he goes here, he specifically uses the term sonship, like a male only term. But even as he like closes out the book and he's greeting and he's saying goodbye, you know, he specifically mentions like you, the men and the women, like the believers in Paul's view were both genders. So why is it here that he does this specifically a masculine term? And when I was looking into it, this term, this, and I got it kind of bold in there, adoption to sonship. It's actually a legal term. And this legal term, what it means is that it's, and, and in their culture, you know, to be, have like the full right of inheritance, you almost had to be a son because the daughters didn't, didn't have the full rights. But the adoption to sonship is a legal term that they would use that meant that this person who is not 
biologically my heir and not biologically my son is coming in and getting the full rights, like the maximum rights under the law of any child is coming in and the adoption of sonship, it meant that legally now in the eyes of the law, in the court, forever and hereafter, this person would now have the rights and as an heir, as a firstborn, as an heir to my inheritance. And so when Paul is saying to the Ephesians, he predetermined or predestined for us, for you, to, ha- to be adopted to sonship. He's saying regardless of your gender, regardless of your uh, classification under biology terms or whatever, that you are now full rights of inheritance to this thing that God is giving. And this is important because as he's talking to the people here and then the next section, verse nine, it says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And it says to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. Now, the reason why he says this part about times reaching their fulfillment is because if he's saying to us, you have the full rights of adoption, you have the full rights of a, of a firstborn son to inherit everything that is given to you. As people who inherit something, and you know, my wife's grandmother, uh, grandfather just passed away and we went to the memorial about a month ago and um, her, her mom called her and just yesterday as we were in the car and, and they said, hey, um, you know, from what was left remaining to take care of your grandfather, whatever, um, you know, you're going to have this $10,000, which was like this huge thing. Now, it turns out we don't actually get it, but it goes into account. I don't know how it works, but like there was this amount, you know, which was like there that just because of who she was, Lisa, who she was related to her grandfather, she's going to get this amount. And when we think about inheritances and what we receive, it's not always something that you get right then. It's not like I, when Paul's saying, hey, you now have the full rights of inheritance, that all of a sudden they get something. It's put in place, you know, like a will or a testament. It's put in place for a time that that would be appropriate. And in the case of like wills and inheritance, it's usually after the person's gone. So when he's saying you've got this full right of inheritance here, but it's to be put into effect when the, these times reach their fulfillment. And I think that sometimes when we look at the first part of what Paul said, like that all blessings on heaven and on earth have been given to us, we read that and we're like, we're supposed to be inspired by it. But in some senses, it can be not inspiring because you look around and go, I am not living in a place in my life with where all rich blessings of heaven and on earth have been given to me. I'm not living in the reality of this blessing that comes from being in Christ and the inheritances of the God of heaven. I'm not living there. And when we look at that reality and it doesn't line up with who we are in life, it can be like, well, wait a minute. I thought I'm supposed to get this thing and now it's not there. So what does that mean for me? And so when Paul's saying to be put into effect when these times reach their fulfillment, I think that sometimes the timing and the fulfillment aren't lining up. You know, I think, you know, when you look at situations and circumstances, the scouts had tragedy in their life just this weekend, like 
this is not an Epiphany Sunday of a good thing, you know? And for those of you who, who know us, you know, when we first met all of you, we had a chow named Grizzly, and he, the timing was like, you know, worst thing ever, but we were gone on vacation, came back, and our dog, who Lisa and I had had since before our kids were even born, had passed away. And, you know, it's kind of one of those risks when you adopt a pet. You know, I've had friends say, you know, that's, that's why I don't adopt a dog, because I know it's going to be so sad when they die. You know, almost like I'm going to preemptively not, not adopt a dog, because I'll get too attached, and then I'll be tragic and terribly sad when, when that happens. And, you know, but you don't think about that in the beginning. You know, you've got this little furry puppy, and it's so cute, and then time and things, and you, you almost can't even realize what life would be like without them. When Grizzly passed away, it was like tragic. And when people would suggest to me, like, oh, just get a new dog. I'm like, you obviously don't understand what life is like. Why don't you go get a new kid? Why don't you go get a new life? You know, like, you don't just replace a dog. This is a member of my family. I can't just go get a new one, you know. And um, just, and I don't know if it was just my own stubbornness or, you know, all of us just being so, like, at a place of mourning and loss, you know. We just were like, we're not getting another dog. We're not like, we don't, we're not just like, Oh, lost a dog, replace a dog, you know, like it's not carpeting, you know, like, and, and so we just were like, we're, we're not going to do it. And time went by and, you know, a year and then, you know, we travel a lot and puppies, you know, and all this different things. And I remember, um, it had been about two years, our youngest daughter, and sometimes, you know, you need these, you know, out of the mouth of babes, but, uh, Zoe said, I'm calling a family meeting. She called everyone to the kitchen table. And, you know, I think she might have been, uh, I don't know, 11, 12, something like that. And she just was like, it's time. And we're like, time for what? And she's like, we got to get a dog. <laughs> like, I know it's sad. No one's going to replace Grizzly, but we got to get a dog. And we all sat around the table and we looked at her and said, you're right. <laughs> it's time. The time of fulfillment had arrived, you know, and we spent a couple weeks. I think they went to the Denver Dumps Friends League and just, you know, brought home a puppy. And now, you know, Penelope's a part of our family, you know, and there's timing where things like where they align and there's times where the timing just isn't right. And when we look at our spiritual lives, when we look at like that place of being in God where all spiritual blessings on heaven and on earth are here for us, there's time for that reality because that's a reality. That's a truth. There's a time that that reality isn't in alignment with the timing that we're in. We're not in a timing where that alignment is there. And there's other times we can look back, we can reflect and see that that timing is there. We can see, we can get glimpses of it like an epiphany, like a revelation of something that's, that's misty and out there and mystical. We can get a glimpse of the reality of what it means to be truly in the, all of God's blessing. But for a lot of the times, we don't see that, and that's not something that we can picture in our lives. And so as Paul kind of breaks this down for us, he then in the next verse, it says, in him, we were also chosen. And he uses the term we there, okay? And we're not really sure except by context what he means by we. But he's talking about like him, himself, Paul, the disciples, the apostles, the, you know, the 12, the extension of those who were believing. 
And he says, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity of the purpose of his will. Now, and there's other verses that use some of the same wording, but like the idea of working out everything in conformity to the purpose of God's will, you know, I think that's one of the things that we can look back on and go, and we, we see things in our world and we see things in our lives that don't, how can this be part of God's will as almost like, as if everything that happens in the world, whether good or bad, God, that's God's will. But that's, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that, that God makes all good things happen and all bad things happen. What he's saying is that everything God works that to be in conformity to his will, which means good, bad, and ugly. All of the things that God works those into the conformity of the purpose of his will. But that, he, we, we're not like robots who only can do whatever God pre-designed for us to do. We have free will. We have choices. There's evil in the world. There's good. There's, there's good things that happen that God's like, wow, that's great. But it's not like he made it happen. There's also bad things that happen that God's like, oh my gosh, that's tragic. Not like he makes it. I wonder how God says, oh my gosh. I don't know. Anyway, we'll just set that, we'll set that aside for a minute. But the idea is that God is working out all of the things that happen. Not that he plans everything, but he's working out all the things that happen so that they can come together in the conformity of the purpose of his will. So that these things, whether good and bad and ugly, can all be shaped in such a way that that God's will is ultimately going to be able to prevail. And it says, in order that we who were in the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So he's talking, Paul's talking about like himself and these people who were like, kind of like the first Christians, you know, they're the first people to really ever put their faith in Christ. And, and he's saying, that's good. And we, we, we were chosen for that. We were selected for that. We were the few who were meant to be there. But we even know among the 12, there were some who didn't quite follow along with what was meant to be. Now, as Paul says that, then he transitions, and this is this this verse here, he switches it. He says, and now you also. So he starts with this we statement, talking about himself and the apostles, the disciples, and and you know, we can look at those people, the apostles, the disciples, Paul, John, you know, the 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 magi who showed up from the east, you know, and we can look at them and go, Well, that that's amazing that they were a part of that story, but all of that is meant to then be turned back around so that you also, meaning now us, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. And he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And now he gets back to this adoption theme. Like he says it in the beginning, there's this legal term for adoption, but then he goes on to say, beyond even adoption, now you've been marked. Like there's something about you that has been branded upon your soul. That means you are in him. You were marked in him with a seal. And it says the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That as much as we have been granted as heirs of Christ Jesus in every heavenly blessing, we've also been given a deposit, a down payment, He calls it a guarantee. And that guarantee is the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of all of the parts of our life, in the parts that are are ugly, in the parts that are disheartening, the parts that are painful, that we have been given a guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit, 
until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the promise of his glory. See, as we sit here today, we have a promise of a glory that is greater than anything we could imagine. But we also have a deposit guaranteeing that glory that is accessible to us today. Just like when someone puts a deposit in your bank account, it is there now for you to access as needed. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee of the glorious future that is in God. But the Holy Spirit is ours to be accessed today. In times of pain, the Holy Spirit is our comfort. In times of indecision, the Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us peace and brings us hope and gives us this glimpse of a brilliant future. So as we sit here today and we look at and celebrate what is meant to be epiphany, epiphany is our realization that God is here. And I think about today, and I think today is meant to be a reminder that God is at work in our lives, that God is present in our pain. He weeps with us. He laughs with us. But most importantly, in all of that guarantee is meant to remind us that we are his, that we are his. And so if you've ever felt like I feel sometimes as you walk into this room, you know, as a, as a place you say, this is where believers come. This is where people of faith come together. If you've ever wondered, like, do I belong here? <laughs> do I fit here? I don't know if you about you, but I've walked into places and I've just been like, these are not my people. This is not my place. I don't fit here. Usually it's like airplanes that are too short. <laughs> but, but if you've ever wondered when it comes to the community of faith, you belong here. The Holy Spirit is our deposit, guaranteeing our place in the family of God. And so as you came in today for whatever reason, let today be the epiphany and realization that you belong here. You belong here in this place with these people as a part of this family of God. And I wonder what would happen in our lives if we chose to live out the epiphany of who God is to us. You know, the, I mentioned in the beginning that the epiphany day isn't actually Sunday, it's Monday. And I thought that's kind of ironic because almost every high holy day when it comes to church is on Sundays. Why is this one on a Monday? And I don't know, but maybe it's because for us, we're supposed to have an epiphany of who God is in our lives outside of just coming to church. That we're supposed to have a realization that God is present with us, not just here, but there. God's present with us, not just here, but everywhere. The realization of who God is and who he is meant to be in us. And that, the Holy Spirit is that deposit, that guarantee. You know, as we look at the Magi, these people who are the sorcerers, the outsiders, they're following stars, and they don't seem to fit in the Jewish story. I tell you, I think it's kind of funny too, they don't really fit in the Christian story either. I throw up the, the, the Harry Potter kids, and you, you think, wait, aren't, aren't we in church? You know, I remember when, when the Harry Potter novels were first written, I was a youth pastor. There were like moms who were like, 
my kids are not allowed to read those books. I don't, something changed when they became movies because movies are cool. But I was like, that's why, honestly, that's why I started reading Harry Potter books. Whenever someone says, you're not allowed to read that, I'm like, oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> Let me just check that out. <laughs> Went down to the library. They were thick. Read the first one. I was like, I like these books. You know, they're fun. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> all the scary stuff everyone said. So don't tell all those moms back then. But these people don't seem to fit in the story of faith. You know, I think that's why the Chronicles of Narnia are kind of an interesting story because they mix in the story of faith with these characters that don't seem like wizards and all this that shouldn't be a part of like the story of faith. And as I put these pictures up here, I thought, you know, that's kind of like not the people who belong in the story. You know, when you look at a, a story of like Jesus' story, you're supposed to have like shepherds and robes and you're supposed to have like all these characters like Mary and the Bible people and even the priests and all that. But like for these sorcerers to show up, for these magicians to show up, for these people who are like from other cultures and other places. But I also realized that these three, whether it was three or more, these people who showed up as a part of that story, they were the first ones to really come in who didn't belong there. Well, guess what? As Paul writes this verse to the Ephesians, he's writing to Gentiles who don't belong there. He's writing to these people who don't belong in this Jewish story. And that's a big part of what he talks about is he says, hey, we were meant to be here first in this thing, but you know what? You're also meant to be here too. And so if you've ever walked into a church or a faith community and you're like, there's a bunch of insiders here. And the, the reality is faith can feel very exclusive. You know, it can feel very much of an exclusive place of there's all these people who believe in this thing and they're in and I'm not and I'm out. The Epiphany Day, the, Ma the Magi Day, the day that we celebrate these people who were outsiders who become an integral part of the story, well, that's our story too. That's all of our story. Every single person who sits here in this room, you're a part of this order of the Magi, the people who come in the beginning and don't belong there. And I don't know at what point it transitions for us where we start to think maybe we do belong here, but let us also remember that we didn't always belong here once. And there's a bunch of people who maybe don't feel like they belong here. And they're going to need to have you remind them of, hey, you know what, I didn't belong here once either. But you do belong here. And that's what Epiphany is about, is our realization that God is here and we belong. So let's just close in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I pray that throughout this time of fasting and prayer over these 21 days, that there would be many epiphany moments, realizations and revelations of who you are in us. And I pray as we leave this place today, we would have the epiphany that we belong in you, that God, you are here. And the Holy Spirit is just a deposit of the glory that is to come. And I pray that this epiphany moment would not end today, but would last tomorrow and the next day and continue to have new and glorious realizations of who you are and who you're meant to be in our lives. In Jesus' name.